What's up, everyone? My name is Chris Hagan. This is Above the Standard, the podcast brought to you by Barbell Battalion. I am so excited to talk and introduce my next guest, Assistant Chief Dave McLean. He currently serves as the Assistant Chief for the Letterkenny Army Depot, but he recently came from West Point as the training chief. And that's what we talk about. We talk about training today. We talk about training. The excuses people bring up, theories and ideas on how to build a training network, a better training organization and a cash amongst your crew, uh, building that cadre of people that really want to get better and taking those people that may not be performing well and building them up. Uh, I had so much fun. Dave is a phenomenal guy, so easy to talk to. It was like we were in the firehouse. Uh, please give it up for Chief Dave McGlynn. Chief, how are you? What's up, brother? How you doing? Uh, doing, uh, doing real well. Probably the craziest times ever in this country right now, man. Yeah, no crap, man. And uh, my kid is actually, my daughter is flying out of Philly tomorrow and landing in Miami uh, because we had planned a trip for her to see my uh, my wife's sisters and and their daughters and sons, you know, my our I guess um, my nieces and nephews. We planned this back in February. We almost canceled because of COVID, and then this stuff's happening now with the riots. So I almost pulled the plug on it, but I'm like trying to be optimistic, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know. What uh, what evil do you want the 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 virus that doesn't have a a cure or or civil unrest yeah. everywhere man it's uh yeah. it's <laughs> it's crazy I was thinking uh, just before I called um yeah, I don't know how I don't know how old your uh, your children are but uh, anyone born like around the year two thousand plus or minus has seen some pretty crazy stuff in their life yeah. in, in their lifetime already. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just wild, man. Uh, but yeah, chief, nuts. chief, I, I do want to thank you for, uh, joining me late at night. Um, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, uh, to kind of show you, kind of talk about kind of my genesis on how I kind of reached out to you. Um, I was really looking for, you know, various avenues, uh, to, you know, weave in things in the fire service, um, health and wellness, training, fitness, that sort of thing. And, um, when I, as I was scrolling through a couple um, conference listings of instructors, um, I, I believe I just, um, stumbled upon you uh, scheduled for uh, FDIC, and yep. and you know wouldn't luck have it the first time I get approved uh, to go to FDIC in five years, uh, Corona <laughs> co- Corona hits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so you're gonna go next year, though, right? Uh, that's that's still the plan. I mean, you know, you know, God willing, I don't piss off my training chief. Um, no, I'll write, I'll write him a letter. Oh man, oh man, that's probably going, probably go negative with my name on it. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but um, uh, again, thank you so much for uh, for jumping on here. I wanted to uh, kind of hear your. Uh, your evolution in the fire service and uh, kind of a little bit too if, if you're able to you have a very unique um um district that you cover um and if you could like talk about uh both you know your um journey in the fire service and then uh kind of the the um area that you oversee yeah yeah no problem so um i uh i have a unique background uh and not many people know it unless they actually know me so I grew up, and you'll hear it in my voice, I, I, I tried being a public speaker, and over the, the course of the past uh, 12 years of moving out of the state of New Jersey, 
I tried to get rid of my Jersey accent. Uh, however, I guess it's just something I'll never lose because I, I get constantly accused of it. So it's going to come out. So uh, <laughs> I was born. Yeah, I was born in a family of, uh, of four. I have two older brothers and an older sister. I grew up in uh, what's considered technically central Jersey, but uh, also could be considered North Jersey because I grew, I grew up very close to New York City. Uh, for those that aren't geographically sound, uh, New York City is actually closer to central and, and uh, northeast New Jersey than it is actually North Jersey. People don't really realize that. Um, so I grew up uh, right by close to the New York City area. I uh, grew up a Yankee fan and all that stuff. Uh, I, uh, my story is there, uh, there's not many that have a similar story to, as, as I that I found, but uh, – but I, 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 I'm very proud of my story because – so my grandfather, he was a firefighter. He was actually the fire chief of a chemical plant called Mellencroc Chemical in uh, Jersey City. And it, it closed down. So he retired in uh, 1983, in August of 1983. I was born in June of 1983. Uh, so I never knew that he was a fireman until I was much older. Like I, I, I remember him having um, his chief's helmet – and a red jacket with a Maltese cross on it, but I hadn't put two and two together. So what made me want to be a fireman was when I was a kid, they had the fire truck had actually driven up my street with the fed queue going and uh, they were throwing candy and, and all that. And uh, they had Santa Claus on top of, of the engine. And I remember thinking to myself, like, how cool is this that the firemen are friends with Santa? So I want to be a fireman <laughs> because because they're friends with Santa and how cool is that, you know? So, so I had actually wanted to be a fireman before anybody had really introduced me to it. Um, so I just knew that it was, it was something I wanted to do. So fast forward, I graduate high school, a uh, buddy of mine is volunteering in our local town and he said, Hey, you know, I'm volunteering, you should join. So I joined, uh, the fire service. I signed up in, uh, June of one. Uh, I did my, uh, my PT test, uh, because unlike a lot of volunteer departments uh, there, we actually had people do a PT test. Um, and, uh, and I remember climbing. I, I share the story because it's, it's unique, and, I, and I'm fortunate because after me, no one else got to experience this that was joining the fire department. So because we grew up less than 45 minutes from lower Manhattan, um, so, which in all technicality was probably like 25 miles away. Uh, we had a hundred foot aerial stick, a C grade ladder truck. And uh, part of the PT was you were supposed to climb to the top of the stick. When you got to the third fly, the, you know, at the 75 foot mark, you could actually make out the New York skyline. And as you got to the top, you could see uh, the skyline. So I remember um, the guy that was running the test, uh, he was a lieutenant at the time on the department, and I was real nervous because I had never climbed something that high before. I was 18 years old, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And uh, he came over to the speaker, and he's like, uh, you know, calm down. You're all right up there. Because those of you that are, you know, that are listening to your show and, and for you, you know, when you get to the last fly of, a, of, a, of an aerial stick, that thing's moving. You know, right. like it's, 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 it's not stable. It's bouncing. Yeah, you know, imagine being 18 you know, less than two weeks from graduating high school, or two weeks post-graduating high school, and here you are at the top of this aerial stick, and the thing's just going woof, woof. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my 
God. So uh, what calmed me down was he came over and he said, you know, look out ahead of you to, you know, to your right. And I said, all right, so what do you see? And I said, I see the Twin Towers. And that was the truth. You know, I was able to see the Twin Towers because you could see the New York skyline. Um, and he's like, isn't that beautiful? And I said, yeah, man, it's awesome, you know. And, and uh, I remember trying to spot out where the Statue of Liberty was and, and the Empire State Building. And the, the, the most distinct was the, the Twin Towers because they stood out and they were the closest because uh, they were in lower Manhattan. So um, right after all that was said and done, do the background check, do the physical and, uh, you know, the medical physical and everything, 9-11 happens. Uh, so I joined the fire service right when this happened, uh, like officially became a fireman when this happened. Um, you know, so for me, being the youngest in my family, uh, having two older brothers, uh, having an older sister, I didn't really know what my niche was. You know, like I was constantly called Little McGlynn because I was the youngest of my family. And uh, I didn't really have anything to stamp mine. And uh, when 9-11 happened, um, sadly, but, um, you know, it became my thing. Like I knew then, like that was my purpose, like not being cliche or, or geek. I don't really talk about this part too much because I think people try to glorify it in a negative way. It's just for me, it's near and dear to my heart because uh, it gave me some kind of value and purpose in the eyes of my father and my brothers and my sister and my mother and, you know, the people in our town, you know, like, Oh, you know, like, how's your little brother doing? He's a fireman, isn't he? How great is that? You know, because at that, at that point, sadly, but at that point, we, the fire service had finally kind of been put on a good global map, which we weren't before. And I had gotten in right at that time it was happening. And it just really gave me that value of, and that purpose of like, I'm part of something and it's huge. And I found my purpose, you know? So, um, that's the beginning part of my story. Not to be long winded. Well, it, it, it <laughs> that's, also that's the beginning part of my story. No, man, it's totally fine. I mean, it, it also speaks to what's probably like foreshadowing here, but setting up what is, is an undying passion for the job. I mean, li- listening to you speak, um, just on that one time, you you can definitely get a sense and a, and a gauge on what kind of passion and drive you bring to your job and your department and, and the fire service in general. And so to have that sort of iconic moment that that you were actually able to 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 you know bear witness to the twin towers, you know, a, a little bit before the terrorist attacks happened um is like you said it's it's a it's a unique i want to say opportunity but a, a unique experience that 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 you held and i mean there's i mean shit there's nothing more iconic than looking over the new york skyline and seeing and seeing that i mean there's nothing more americana than climbing a, you said it was a sea grave yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, nineteen ninety nine hundred foot sea. Grave. Yeah, climbing uh, the the sea grave, looking over the city of New York, and you're getting ready to be a fireman. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, I hope you shotgun the beer when you got down. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so what brought you to uh, West Point? Okay, so uh, just to actually give you an update, so I recently just uh, transferred and promoted out of West Point uh, three weeks ago. 
Um, oh, but we'll talk congratulations. about that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So at West Point, I was the training chief, which was uh, like a battalion chief rank. Um, and I just transferred out uh, into Pennsylvania and I'm working at, for the army still. And now I'm now an assistant chief. Um, so it was the next, you know, next grade promotion, next rank, all that. So, so uh, I've been blessed. Um, and I, I'm not, again, not playing on words. If you look up what blessed means, it means t- to be happy. Uh, so I am blessed because uh, through all the crap and, and you know, you know, you're a fireman and, and the people are going to be listening to your show, you know, and we go through a lot of, uh, a lot of crappy times, not just in the, the, the stereotypical or the, you know, or the typical of, you know, seeing our share of crap that, that can be traumatic, but just dealing with personalities and dealing with drama and egos and, and uh, bullying, all that stuff. You know, I've, I've gone through it. I go through it, but I'm still happy because I never thought that I would be where I'm at in my career. And I've been very fortunate to have had the opportunities to get in my career, met the people that I've been able to meet in my career. Uh, so to go back to what you said with West Point. So let's talk about how I got there. So volunteer in New Jersey, trying to get a job, trying to get a job, trying to get a job. And uh, a bunch of my buddies were getting hired in, in the city departments, uh, you know, either in New York City or in like Perth Amboy and Linden and, and a couple other departments, you know, around the area. And as, as happy as I was for them, I was also growing envious. I'm like, when's my turn? And um, a, a, a buddy of mine, a dear friend of mine, Terry Kennedy, he kind of gave me the wake up call. He was like, you know, you need to stop worrying about them and focus on you. And, uh, and I, I turned what he said into a, a part that I, I talk about in one of my classes. And I say, you know, success isn't done by looking out the window. It's done by looking in the mirror. By you looking at, at the fortunes that everybody else has, all you are essentially is a cheerleader for them. And if you're cheering them on, what work are you doing for yourself? So I learned at that moment when Terry talked to me that I need to work on me. So I started taking classes. Uh, he helped me write my resume. I got hired in the federal government. I worked first at, in Maine. I moved all the way from where I was familiar and comfortable in New Jersey to Brunswick, Maine, and worked at the nav- nav- the former Naval Air Station uh, in Brunswick, Maine, which uh, had, had closed uh, about 10 years ago. So um, so I got, my, I got hired there. I was a, a federal firefighter. I was working for the Navy, and I was working as an airport firefighter because they were a naval air station. And this was all new to me. So here I go in there. You know, I was a, a captain in my fire department where I was uh, volunteering in New Jersey and came up there thinking, I'm, you know, I know my stuff. And boy, did I find out real quick that the military way is much different. <laughs> um, and airport firefighting is is it can be considered easier, um, but if you've never done it and you've only done structural, it's very hard and it's 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 a lot different. Uh, so, went through that system, was a firefighter there, then came down to Pennsylvania, um, transferred down here when uh, they they closed uh, the base up there. Uh, my wife moved with me; she was my girlfriend at the time, uh, so she moved with me, got hired uh, down here. I worked in. Um, in Pennsylvania, and then I promoted at Carlisle Barracks, the Army War College, as a captain um, in 2013, I think. Uh, promoted to the captain's position, and uh, and we bought our house. We were married. We had our daughter, and life was going really, really awesome. Okay, so then I happened to see 
that West Point was hiring a training chief. And I thought, well, what the hell? I'll interview. <laughs> Yeah. Love it. You know, Love they're ne- they're Love ne- it. They're never going to give me the job. You know, uh, I'm 33, I think, at the time when I applied for the, the job up there. Uh, so I'm like, they're never going to give me the job. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just a new captain. I'm just shy of three years being a captain. Uh, you know, I, 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 I have just uh, uh, whatever, 12 or, or a little more than that, whatever, 15. You have 15 years experience in the fire service. Um they're never going to hire me. And, uh, so I went up there and I, I, I was as, as, uh, transparent as possible in my interview because I had thought that they just weren't going to hire me. And, uh, and I was taking the opportunity as uh, like a developmental thing, like, okay, this is what this interview would look like. This is the type of things that they'll be looking for. So allow me to, um, start taking on those opportunities to, to be prepared for when I'm ready for it. And then they offered me the job. And I'm like, whoa, wait, what? <laughs> That's supposed to go like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so we just had our son because we, you know, so my, my wife had just had my, my son, um, and they offered me the job. So then I, I came back and I said, listen, you know, situation is my wife, we own our house. We just had our kids. Uh, we have a, a daughter and we just had a son. I can't move them here. Can you be flexible with the schedule? I was very blessed that my chief was was accommodating uh, for all the time that I was there, and it it became a point of contingency with him. Uh, I know it was, but I'll always be grateful that he gave me that opportunity while I was there to have this flexible schedule that it worked that I could spend over four years up there um, managing the training division and and, and putting together a, what I consider a pretty good quality training program, learning a lot about how to be a manager, how to manage and develop a program, how to be responsible for all facets of life at the military academy, um, and and all the while still be able to maintain my personal life, which was a challenge, but it was, you know, it, uh, it, was, it was worth it. And that's why I say I'm blessed because now I'm home. You know, I didn't have to move. I'm, 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 I'm 30 minutes. The base that I work at is 30 minutes from my house. I'm an assistant fire chief now. I'm very blessed. I get to see my kids every day. You know, like I told you before, you know, like I was sitting down eating dinner with the family, you know, like that's important. You know, like uh, those are, I missed out on a lot of those. So I don't want to miss them now. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, so chief, um, uh, yeah. So I think I was right. You foreshadowed pretty much a very passionate, positive view of your career thus far in the fire service. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's definitely come with challenges, but, um, you definitely speak as, um, one that certainly has a drive to improve oneself. Um, and I want to talk right now about probably the most content, like the, probably the most contended excuse driven world uh, that, that we have in the fire service and that's training. And in, in your opinion, what's the fire service? I want to say doing wrong, but what do I guess, what are we getting wrong? What do we need to improve on to get our training? Because you, it doesn't matter what company you talk to. It doesn't matter what crew it's either you're going to have, it's like th- like three variations of people. You have the, the, the go-getters. You have the people that are kind of in the middle that will, will go with whatever flow they have. And you'll have the, 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 the uh, 
and the the last third, which is more salty or more negative, and either pendulum swings, and those are the most influential depending on um, who is in your station. So when we when we talk about training, um, it's going to be a broad question, but why 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 the hell should we train? But what what what, what what what's the importance of it? I mean, because you, you know, I think one of the things that you've talked about before is our our bad I don't want to call them bad training chiefs, but if we have those officers, those training chiefs that are just and I don't want to fault them, but maybe just in this kind of lackadaisical world, you know, we we have a minimum that we have to hit, and once we've hit it, we're good. You know what we're drilling on, we're drilling on the same things we did last year. Um, so why is it important that, that we have an, uh, an excuse-free training culture? <laughs> uh, so a couple things covered there. So I'm going to start with uh, the, the one thing. So the first thing I'm going to acknowledge is um, how did we get to the point that um, – you know, just kind of uh, paraphrasing. How did we get to the point? that uh training has become bastardized and i can answer that question uh simple so i became a training officer it's been a passion of mine it's been something i wanted to do you know the joke those who can't do teach i i'm a, i'm an okay fireman i'm not great but i'm i'm pretty good uh i'm good enough that if i stayed as a fireman i would have been fine uh but i was never great there's a lot of guys that do a lot more salty stuff and cool stuff and, and, <laughs> and last longer than me no there are you know i believe yeah 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 for sure um but uh, why I became a training officer was because I got sick and tired of training being used for punishment and not for development. The very purpose of training is to develop our skills, to replenish our skills, to refresh our skills, to not allow them to perish. And to answer the other part of your question is, is for preparation. We're in a business that own lives of property. It's not to sound cliche. It's not because it's sexy on a T-shirt or on a stupid sticker or whatever like that. The bottom line is you could run 300 calls a year. You could run 30,000 calls a year. There's still the fact that you're there because something's going to happen. Somebody is having a bad day. You're the world's problem solver. You have to be prepared. So especially if you run 300 calls a year as opposed to the 30,000 calls a year, your, your skills can perish. So that is why it's even more important for the slower stations to train. But training is used for development. It's to keep fresh on your skills, to learn new skills, to, to replenish them, to refresh them, all that stuff so that you're prepared. Because the training is, in, is a business that exists for preparation because we need to be prepared to offer and provide the skills that everyone expects. It's not that they, you know, like we can – offer them a menu. And when I say them, you know, the public, it's not like they have a menu and they, they can sit there and say, well, excuse me, today I'm in the mood for a heart attack. So let's see if they can handle that. Like, that's not how it works. They just call 911 and we go. Their expectation is we know what we're supposed to do, right? So when we show up and we don't know what we're supposed to do and we're, and we're having these fouls and that's okay to screw up because we're human beings. But if we practice, you know, I have this saying, I say, you know, we practice every day so we win the Super Bowl on Sunday. We train so that we perform like championship-style firefighters when the bell rings. Tom Brady, and I'm, listen, I'm, I'm a Steelers fan. Even though I grew up in Jersey, my father's from Alabama. Man, I'm man, a I, I'm a Lions fan. Don't talk to me okay. about it. About, no, no, that's okay. So you, gotta, <laughs> you have to admit you're a Lions fan. So even as a Lions fan, okay, Tom Brady 
is arguably the greatest quarterback in our in mine and your generation. Well, he's okay? a he's a, Michi- he's a Mi- he's a Michigan graduate, so yeah. I, well, yeah, yeah. So you should be a fan of him. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but <laughs> that's a good point. I forgot he was a Wolverine. I forgot. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, is you know, here's a guy who he throws a thousand passes a day. He won six Super Bowls. He's played in nine. And he still throws 1,000 passes a day. You want to know why Tom Brady is 42 and still throws 1,000 passes a day? Because he practices every day so he can win the Super Bowl on Sunday. Tom friggin' Brady knows the difference between being lackadaisy and being prepared. So what happened in our fire service is we had people that took a training officer position either because they couldn't ride the truck anymore or they were too fat and lazy to ride the truck anymore. And I'm just – I'm as raw as it gets, so I'm going to say this. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Or – or they're a tyrant, and they, they, they got picked on or bullied, and they all of a sudden they put on a white shirt, and they put on some bugles, and they decided, well, now I'm a chief, so that means I can, I can get back at the people that really pissed me off when I was a fireman. And then they bastardize the training program because they use it for punishment, not for development. They, they run a drill to set people up for failure, quite literally, and then during the after action, or lack thereof, they sit there and they MF the guy and go up one side and down the other in front of all of the crew about how crappy of a job this guy did. And I'm speaking from my own experience because this crap happened to me as a fireman. And I witnessed it happen to brother firemen of mine. And I witnessed it happen from officers that I worked with or for, do it to other firemen, do it to me. And I felt, I vowed, I said, I am, I'll be goddamned if I sit in my fire service career and allow these people to continue to bastardize the one thing that we need the most, which is being well-trained and prepared to execute the skills that we're expected to be able to execute. Absolutely. So, I mean, it, 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 it happened, it happened to me. I think if one thing I've known too, and I've talked about before, if, if I'm having a problem at my fire department that covers 36 square miles, covers 40,000 people, then I know that there's going to be a thousand other fire departments with a thousand other guys or girls that are having the same damn problem. And we've gone, I've gone through the training where you are given no real instruction, but it's a, a task that you learned seven, eight, nine years ago in firefighter one and two. And your instruction is the house is on fire, pull line and go. And the sets and reps haven't been practiced daily, monthly. I wouldn't even say yearly. And all they're looking for is either to check a box or waiting for you to make a mistake so then they can address that mistake and, and show to the whole group, hey, this guy made a mistake and I'm the one that can show you how to do it better. But these are the same guys that are not they are not humping line. They are not throwing ladders. And it's been a, a giant bitch of mine um, that when, when, I'm, when I'm working with our battalion and our crews, and, and I don't give a shit if it's my battalion or anyone else's. I don't care who's working that day. But if it's a skill set that I know we have not drilled on, the last thing I'm going to do is, is fire off a scenario and expect them to perform, in my mind, to a level that, that I need them to perform to. We need to come into this as as a training element because if we don't if if I don't engage them in a learning build up process and they fail and they fail in front of their peers the people they really care about I have just lost my entire momentum to build a confident skill set in that guy um so 
you, you talk because it happened to you, and like the whole like while you're talking, I'm listening, and I'm like, I'm going, I'm going through these evolutions. When when you know, I was a, a guy two years on the job, paying on call department, and they're saying you're in command of a commercial structure fire, and you have nine apparatus coming. What are you gonna do? I don't know. Shit my pants? I don't know. Like, uh, grab the hose line? I don't know. Like, like <laughs> yeah, you. Get, yeah. I, I'm looking at two chiefs, right? I'm gonna try, but, um, so, 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 chief, keep going. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, not at all, bro. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Jersey, dude. I'll get long winded, so I, I'm glad you cut me off. It, 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 it gives, it gives me. <laughs> Cause I'll go on people that know me, they know, man, you know, like I, I work with one of the assistant chiefs down here and, and he makes the joke, you know, he's, he's like, uh, he's like, man, you're quiet, but he's saying it sarcastically, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you're good brother. Uh, I like that you, you did interrupt and, and say what you said because it, it, you know, it got my wheels turning in my head. You know? Um, so, you know, there's, there's a, a couple other things there. So like, uh, I'm speaking for myself. I'm young, I'm 37 years old. So, uh, I don't have all the answers again, not to play on words, but I've been very fortunate and blessed to be, have the opportunities I've had, be able to write for fire engineering, be able to teach out at FDIC. These, these are dreams that I never thought would come true. You know, it's very surreal to me still to this day. Um, you know, people like yourself, you know, calling me, reaching out to me and saying, Hey, can I interview you for my show? Like, these are very surreal things. Cause I feel like I'm not somebody who's, who should be talking about it. Um, but at the same token, I'll take the opportunity because I, I just in your response, if no one else hears this or no one else likes what I had to say, I the intent of my message, and it's when I teach, it's the same thing, is I want somebody to connect with what I'm saying. I'm not saying something because it's bullshit. I'm not saying something to 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 throw out sexy phrases and you know and all that crap because there's enough people doing that that I don't need to. Um, I'm just going to tell you my story. And if, and if one person was empathetic, then I, I won, you know, and I feel good. And, and just you saying, you know, I could, I was visualizing it in my own head, you know, um, it, it, you know, so the way I run my programs, the way I try, so I'm going to stress on the word try because situational deviation, uh, you answer to a higher power, uh, you know, you have to shift gears, uh, you know, depending on the situation, depending on what's going on, like this, this pandemic, you know, this, this COVID stuff. You know, I had a whole plan while I was up at West Point of what we were going to be doing for the next few months. And that got on the kibosh because of the the pandemic and because we're at the military academy and you're answering to, you know, the military academy and also to the army. Um, you know, I, I basically had no choice. I was just handcuffed and it was just like, you know, whatever. We, we have a, a, a no training program for the next two or three months, you know. Uh, so you have to adjust. Um, however, I try when I, when I can. So the biggest thing that if people should try to do, a, you know, a good training, I'm not saying I'm a good one, but I'm just saying in general, like what I would expect from a training officer. So I try to do this as a training officer is, um, you should at least come up with core subjects. So I, I call them my core four people have more than five, six, seven, whatever the hell it is. You evaluate your company or your department's missions, uh, what the admission, what you, what your service ca service delivery capabilities are, so what what you can provide, uh, how well you can provide it, uh, you know what type of uh, calls that you will run more than more frequent than others, ones that you don't. And just because you don't run them as much as the others doesn't mean you don't train on them. Uh, you just you build your program around the, around those that information when you collect that data, you know, and you do your own assessment. 
Um, and, and then from there you do a crawl, walk, run. And that's another play on words. People have bastardized that. I, I use it because it's truly how I run my program. However, I use it by its, by the, the, the sayings definition, not because it sounds sexy. You know, people are like, Oh, I like to, I like to lead crawl, walk, run. Like, no, you know, you're an idiot. You know, like you, you just say that cause it sounds good. Um, I, I legitimately, we will do basic skills one month. Then we'll do a little more advanced the next month. And then there's the drill. So, come drill time it's not that i'm setting anyone up for failure it's i'll i'll put together a scenario or a drill and i won't tell them what the objectives are because why because let's say this is june right so let's say i ran a drill this month well in may and april we were planning and preparing for each different um discipline and skill set and objective that you were going to have to if you were paying attention, you were going to have to perform in this drill. So now come June, I throw the drill together. I just evaluate. I'm going to stand there and I'm going to put, I set up the drill. 45 minutes go by, I call you out and you just come out and I watch it all unfold. And if everything went unhinged, which it, it's okay if it didn't, then dude, what a win on that. Because that means that we were real, the, the crawl walk run really worked, you know? And then if certain things were a hiccup or a gap, we address them in the after action, but we do it for pro progression, not for, you know, not to, to sit there and punish somebody, you know, we do it to develop, not punish. And, and we, and we all talk about it. And I, and most times they'll say it themselves. I learned this from a Lieutenant uh, that was on the truck company at West Point, Connor Miller, who's like, I say his name because I'll plug this kid until I'm dead. He's, 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 he's like 30, 29 or 30. He's younger than me, dude. This guy is, I mean, just wow. Like I, I wish I was, had his ability when I was younger. I even wish I had his abilities now. I would go to him. I looked up to him and meant and used him as a mentor for things. And he's seven years younger than me. Um, Connor had given me that suggestion and I use it. I used it then and I'll continue to use it for the rest of my career is when we do after actions, let them speak first. And I guarantee the thing that you notice that you want to address, they'll, they'll admit. And most cases, almost every time after he gave me that advice, we would do an after action and I'd let them talk. I'd say, you know, call on the officers or the company officers, whatever, and let them, you know, say, hey, you know, like, what'd you think, blah, blah, blah. You know, well, we were doing this, blah, blah, blah. One thing we could have done better was, you know, I noticed that we, we separated here or, you know, we probably could have thrown a ladder there or we did miss this room, you know. And it's like, I noticed this while the drill was unfolding. And I was going to address it, but they ended up addressing it themselves. So now I don't even look like a bad guy. We, we talked about it. Then the response for me is, okay, well, you know, how can we do better on that? Well, next time, you know, we would just know now we know. And the thing is, that's why we take tests in life. That's why it's good to fail. That's why it's good to fall on your face. You know, the, the Batman thing, you know, why do we fall? We'll teach ourselves how to get back up. Um, so because it was addressed in front of everybody, everybody now knows what the mistake was. So they're now more prone to not making that mistake later because we've addressed it. We've exposed it, and we did it in such a fashion that we didn't beat anybody up. It was well-received, you know what I mean? And that's the importance is, is that, that development. Training is for development, not for punishment. You know, crawl, walk, run, build on the skills, and then do the drill so that you test the skills and then address the gaps after the test. And it, it's, 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 in their, it's in their brain. Chief, you know, it seems Chief. like it's so hard for people, and the reason why it's so hard is because of people's friggin' ego. And I'll even admit that myself. Like, there's times where 
I wanted the, the drill didn't go the way I wanted it. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I, I had it in my mind on how it was going to go. And, and the drill got screwed up. And you know why? Because it didn't meet my expectation, not the, not the crew's expectation, but my own damn ego got in my way. You know, so like that's important is kind of being able to separate yourself from it's not about you. You're a facilitator. Chief, how, how, how important is it to go into a training prepared? So more so talking in lines of maybe like a daily, a daily uh, shift training or um, battalion training, something that they're going to try to do once or twice a tour. Um, how important is it for the 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 officer to come in prepared um, for that training? Uh, prepared like for the delivery of the instruction. Correct. Correct. So okay. Yep. Exactly. Uh, so it's very important. It's very important because uh, again. I will not sit there. I'm not one of those people that's going to sit there and talk about everybody else. So I have screwed this up. I've been responsible to have to do lecture and PowerPoint uh, or um, together a drill. And I either didn't have a place set up. Like I didn't have, a, you know, the facilities uh, set up. I didn't have the amenities. One time we were supposed to do live burns. Uh, I didn't realize we were out of wood and I didn't get enough wood. So we had to cancel the burn. Imagine how embarrassing that was. I had crews coming in, you know, on the guys that signed up for overtime. Um, and uh, it, it, not only is it embarrassing for yourself, I mean, it's just such a friggin' punch in the gut because you got no one to blame but your own lack of organization. Um, but that speaks volumes of your inability to be organized, which then speaks on your character as a leader uh, which then speaks on your character of being an instructor because they're not going to say it to you, but in their mind, they're like, well, this guy's kind of a joke. Like what the hell? So, you know, I learned those things. That's why I say West Point was my, every place I worked was great. I'm not knocking any place I ever worked. West Point by far was the greatest, not just because it's West Point, because I mean, come on, it's West Point. Like the greatest of greats graduated from West Point. The, the people we learn about in history, I got to be part of that. I got to see that. I got to be part of that history, that tradition. You know, I'm always going to miss that place. That place is always going to have a huge place in my heart. But what was important was being with family. And that's why I made the decision I made uh, for my career where I'm at now. Um, but, you know, that place taught me how to be a better man, how to be a better adult, how to be a better leader, how to be a better instructor, how to be more organized, because you just learn um, just on looking at their faces in their utter disappointment. Like they just they lose that trust in you when you're like, yeah, we got to cancel today's drill because, uh, you know, I, I screwed up. And they're like, wow, like, you know, why'd you take this job? You know what I mean? So. Um, speaking from my own experience, it's an embarrassment and, and, and it, and it, it's hard. I've been fortunate that I've been able to kind of, um, redeem myself. I, at least I hope in, in certain, um, opinions of, of people that I, I, at least opinion to me mattered. There's always people that opinion will never matter to me that were, that work there or work anywhere that, you know, will tell you differently. And I don't care. You know, uh, there's that expression, people talk behind your back for a reason because they're behind you. I'm okay with them talking about me, um, <laughs> but I am, but, but the people that opinion mattered, they would tell me to my face. And I learned, you know, um, you don't want to let, you don't want to let the fireman down, the fireman make or break you. You know, if you're in a position of being an instructor, training officer, training chief, uh, chief officer, lieutenant captain, whatever the hell it is. Okay. 
Um, if you're supposed to deliver on something, especially in the realm of training, and you are clearly unprepared, uh, it speaks volumes of your lack of organization, your inability to be a leader. Your, it, it, it proved that you didn't take this serious, so why should they? Like, well, so you want me to not be on my phone while I'm sitting in class, but yet you didn't even friggin' make sure that the HDMI cable was working. Like, you know what I mean? Pick, pick a lane here, bud. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, so... And, um, so that that's why it is very important to be prepared uh, and to also know your shit. Don't don't death by PowerPoint. I hate when people read word for word in PowerPoint. PowerPoint is there to give the instructor a guide to stay along because a guy like me who's, who's long winded, I'll see the slide and I'll know, oh, shit, I got to go on to something else. But also for them, for us, we're firemen. At the end of the day, we're freaking firemen. You know, like we want to see pictures, you know, so if you're doing a lecture. I need I need audio and visual, you know, I need something to keep me interested. I'm like a child. And even in, in hands on, I need the physical skills. I need to be able to see what it is that you want me to do. You know, I want to know what I'm touching. Um, so not having those things prepared uh, means you didn't take it serious. And then I'm now in turn not going to take it serious. I think PowerPoint um, and, and I'm I, I'm at the north end of the millennial level. Right. Um but I will I will tell anyone out there if if you are drafting a PowerPoint, there's something called the seven by seven rule. Okay, that means your lines should not have more than seven seven words per sentence and no more than seven lines total. Because after that, we zone the hell out. We don't care. It's not important. You say exactly the the whole reason we are looking at a slide is to look at one word that prompts your brain to tell me shit I need to know. And I am going to focus on you because you are standing up there in some degree as a subject matter expert or someone that that they want to deliver this information. Now, whether that is anyone in charge of training, your officer, or um, a new guy, and, and that, that, you know, if you send a new guy up there, there's a whole other, in my opinion, a whole other level of crawl that that has to be nurtured with that to allow them that experience secondly i think we need to know our audience especially our guys if we are sending a crew into a powerpoint and we have a guy that's instructing you need to know that we are in a room full of the most judgy bitchy people probably in the world we the, there's a great line from Rescue Me, which is like, there's no difference between a sorority house and a firehouse when you take away the fire engine. And what, true. It, 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 it really is. And, you know, if, if we have a captain, if we have a guy that is maybe, you know, he's not riding the ambulance every single day and, and, you, and he's not really keeping up on the EMS skills and maybe he's not held to that standard to do so, don't drill him on the intricacies of, of kidney function and dialysis because the second he doesn't know or the second you call on him or anyone else, the second they hear their name, they are on alert and they are hoping they do not get that question wrong because if they get that question wrong, they look weak in front of their people and then they hate you. So I'm not saying make it like childish but it kind of has to be something they're going to hit out of the park so then you as the instructor can follow up with that important detailed facts that 
confirm what they said, make them look good to engage them further on in the process. So, Chief, when we when we work ourselves out of um, that that PowerPoint um, that PowerPoint world, and, and we are on that and we are on that drill ground. Um, how important is it to have those tough conversations with those firefighters that you know, you know, either their skill sets were were not set or standardized from the get go, and they are going to be a potential problem going down the line. Uh, some guy, maybe they're maybe they are just too fat and they can't turn around and turn their bottle on. Well, in my mind, that's a big damn problem for me. If if you have kind of reached a physical fitness level and you cannot turn around. And turn on your own bottle. Uh, we have to have a serious conversation. Um, weight's one thing, but now, now, now it's a risk. Um, so, Chief, when when you are having that 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 firefighter that is struggling um, with something, and maybe they know it, maybe they don't know it. What's the importance and what's the responsibility that you have to um, have that conversation with that guy or girl? Ah, so for any leader that's assigned to this person or is their direct line supervisor or is the training chief? Uh, they, first of all, so we're in the business in, in, in a, in a leadership role, you are in the business of influence, right? Uh, so you have the opportunity to influence others through your new position of, of influence. I don't want to say position of power or position of authority because it's not what it is. It's position of influence. Um, so if you're not comfortable uh, being able to have those talks, then you're not in a position of influence because uh, you're also supposed to be influencing these people to do better. Um, believe it or not, and I'm not going to lie to you when I say this, uh, it's easier for me. This is me. Um, maybe because I've been able to be empathetic that it's more received because I've had to never, I've never, I'm a fat guy, but I'm in like, an, like if there's such a term as in shape fat guy, I'm an in shape fat guy. Yeah, I am with you. <laughs> I, no. I am with you. Like I love fitness to death, but man doesn't kind of doesn't look like it. But like, if yeah, like, I'm, I'm there, like I'm like, like if I yeah. lost like another 10 to 15, like damn, like I, I, I look no, at myself. I'm, I'm, I'm probably a good forty. I'm like, if I lost a good forty, <laughs> no. But the thing, I'm listen. I'm married to a Puerto Rican. She's from Brooklyn. You know, I grew up in, 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 with a, you know, a mother who cooked Italian food my whole life, and my father's Irish. So you know, I drink beer and eat potatoes, uh, drink whiskey and eat potatoes, and um, you know, whatever. So like, listen, I'm a fat guy, uh, but I, I, I try to work out because. I have young kids and I don't want to have a heart attack and we're in a business that, you know, uh, it's the number one killer is this heart attack thing in our business, you know, aside from the cancer. So, you know, I, I, I like to, I like to try to work out just because I want to keep myself, I guess, uh, able to, to be able to perform the duties I may need to still perform. And I want to be able to watch my kids grow up. Um, but I also still like to eat cheesesteaks and eat yellow rice and gondolas than when my wife wakes, makes it. So, <laughs> you know, but no, but, um, no, all jokes aside, like, so for me, I've, I've never had an issue. I prefer to have the hard talks than talk to a person than try to give a developmental conversation to a person that I think is better than me. 
And I don't mean to say like when I'm talking to somebody that I have to have the heart to talk with that they're not better than me. It's just I can I can relate to them because I was once on the same level or 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 whatever that I'm like, oh, I can talk to this person and it be received because I know how they feel where a guy that's squared away and much better at his job than me. You know, it's harder for me. Like like the, I mentioned the guy, Connor Miller, like so I was I had a very open dialogue with Connor Miller Um and it was hard for me. I was more intimidated to talk to him than I was to most people I worked with because he was so much better at his job as a fireman and at his skill set with technical rescue and truck company ops than I could have ever imagined to be. So more of my conversations with him were more on the level of like attitude stuff, you know, how not to be or what you can or can't say at certain times. Um, because I saw a lot of his attitude in myself. Like I knew how he acted was how I acted when I was a company officer. Um, and, <laughs> and he was much better as a fireman than me. So it made it difficult for me to be able to have these conversations. So it was harder for me to talk to a guy that I felt was better than me. Um, how did you overcome that humbleness or, or that, <laughs> that fear? Because I, 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 I would have to assume, and, and I just from talking to multiple people in this job, you know, there's a there's a constant there's a constant push pull. You have you have chiefs and you have officers that are trying to ascend the hill, and at some point, some officers find that top. It might not be the very top, but it's the top for them. And they, I think, they kind of forget that there's a whole avenue of people coming up that same hill as them, and mm-hmm. and there might come a time where the either the skill set of that officer has not been kept up on, or you have other firefighters that just, like you just said, that you look at and they are beneath you, but man, do they, like, do they have their shit together? Um, how difficult was that for you to either like swallow your ego and really engage, um, Trevor or what, how, how did you, how did you get with that? Because I think that's one of the toughest things as officers in general, it doesn't have to be a trained chief, doesn't have to be a chief. It can be any level of an officer. It can be a senior guy with a new guy coming up who just hit time on that they can test. Um, how do we swallow our egos, engage those people, and and really kind of learn uh, learn with them, learn from them, um, but also in, enhance our own abilities to do our job? Uh, so this is going to sound like... Uh, the sexy answer. So I'm going to acknowledge that um, this is easier said than done. And I stress again, emphasis easier said than done. Uh, I would say I'm still learning how to deal with personalities and egos uh, where I work now. There's a, a few folks that had competed for the same position that I had gotten uh, that are still company officers. And, uh, with that comes, you know, some bitterness, uh, some, and, and some, some, uh, some, some questioning, you know, wondering whether or not I deserve to get it over them and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm dealing with it now. Uh, and I'll find you know what it is. It's, it's fine. It's like, a like playing the piano. Um, you got to find the key that sounds the best. You know, you can't just hit all the keys at the same time because then it just sounds like a whole bunch of noise. So you got to keep playing 
you know, Beethoven used every every key he could until he could create a symphony. And, uh, you know, and, and, and that's that's basically what you need to do. And um, what I'm going to say is, is uh, there's two things on why it's important to swallow your pride, to swallow your ego and to accept humility and but still do what needs to be done despite whatever rank, position, title, senior, whatever you are. If something needs to be done, here's the thing. There's two things. One, most cases, majority of the time, we're all there for the same reason, okay? So we have to be able at some point to set aside our own personal agenda and realize that we're all here for the same reason. And at the end of the day, the fire service is greater than us and it will outlive us. So um, you can't get caught up in personality shit and like i said that's easier said than done we're human beings uh look at what's going on in our country and then we're not going to go down a rabbit's hole to talk about it i'm just saying you know everybody has differences of opinions and it creates so much angst and animosity and you know now you live in a world where you can't even say something as a joke anymore because of uh you know what we've done um so we need to realize in the fire service that um we're here for a greater good. We're all here for the same reason. And the fire service is bigger than us and it's going to last longer than us. So in our moment of being there, uh, in those times where you need to have those unpopular conversations, those taboo conversations, those uh, uncomfortable conversations, if they need to happen, they need to happen. So I'm a big Office fan, the show The Office. Remember The Office? Uh, wait, wait, hang on. British Office or American no, Office? No, an American season. Okay, okay. Seasons yeah. one through like seven or eight when Carell was there. One through seven are the best ever. Uh, there eight we go. Okay. They, they, right. they limped on. Yes. Keep, okay, ta- keep so talking. Keep see, talking, sir. You're there. <laughs> so you're there. Good. <laughs> so um, at one point, uh, uh, Stanley, uh, Michael's given one of his regular, um, you know, uh, the meeting room, uh, unnecessary waste of time meetings. Uh, and Stanley says to him, did I stutter? And they, uh, you know, um, Michael basically gets uh, works up enough courage to uh, have this conversation with Stanley. Uh, he tells everybody to leave the room after he's failed all other options to, you know, one, try to avoid it. Uh, and then two, try to fake fire Stanley to, to humiliate him, you know, to the finally accepting like, OK, I just need to have this uh, this uneasy, unpopular conversation. And, and they came to an agreement and, 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 and you learn, even though it's a character, you learn to have an, a respect for Michael as the boss. You know, the show is such a funny show because he's such a train wreck as a boss. But in that moment, he was the boss. And he told Stanley, you don't have to like me and you don't have to like my way, my methodology, but you do have to respect that I'm the boss. And you can't talk to me like that in front of people ever again. And Stanley said, fair enough. And it was that one real moment in this sitcom that, you know, I've used for the rest of my career is like, we're going to disagree. And I like to joke. This is the fire service. But if I'm having this unpopular conversation with you, there's a reason for it. So we have to agree that we needed to have this conversation, whether you like it or not. We still have to agree. So going back to I keep using this one guy because he was the one that I truly learned the most from. And it really made me feel great that he called me when I was leaving and I, I almost cried when he said I had to get off the phone with him. And he said, you know, I learned a lot from you. 
and I, and I, it made me feel great because I felt like I learned the most from him of all the people I worked with. So back to Connor, I had to have one of those conversations with Connor because I was hanging out in the truck house. You know, that's what we called uh, station two was the truck company. Um, and I was hanging out after hours one night and, uh, he had gotten real mouthy about an issue that he was pretty passionate about. And he kind of got, uh, caught up in like a, a union stance on it. And he was right in, in how he felt. Um, but he talked to me very disrespectfully in front of, uh, four other firemen and, and a captain. And, uh, I called him the next day when I was driving home and I said, you know, you can't talk to me like that. And his first response was, well, you can't come to the firehouse and joke around with us and then expect to have a serious conversation. And I said, that's not true because it's a firehouse. And if I want to come down here and joke around and we're shooting the shit, I can do that. We can break each other's balls. And when I'm serious, I'm, I'm the training chief. And whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, Connor, I have a position of authority. I have a, 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 an image I have to uphold, and I can't allow a lieutenant to talk to me like that in front of everybody, whether you like it or not. And he agreed, and it was kind of that same Michael Scott and Stanley Hudson routine. And that's what I mean. Like, you know, you, at the end of the day, it's not an ego thing. If conversations need to be need to happen, they, they need to happen. We're in the business of dealing with lives of property. We're all there, hopefully, for the same reason, and the fire service is going to outlive us. So we got to set the personalities aside. There still needs to be order there still needs to be organization there still needs to be some kind of like a what's tolerated and what's not and getting back into the training realm what's tolerated on a training ground you get folks that take training not serious whether they're senior firemen and they think well i don't have to do this or there's some kid that you know is in the millennial category that they think they're smarter than everybody because they read a book um you know or a captain who feels like you know because they're a captain they're not running the drill so they don't have to take it serious um there's no room for that crap and when you're the training officer or you're even the instructor it doesn't matter if you're just a fireman if you're the instructor you're the incident commander okay if there's a call there's somebody who's calling the shots at the call right so if there's a drill or a training evolution the instructor is the person who's calling the shots so if you're acting out of turn you need to, that person still needs to be able to have that unpopular conversation with that person. Say, hey, man, if I'm doing something wrong, we could talk on the side. And you could tell me what I was doing wrong as an instructor or whatever. But don't ever be disruptive during one of my training evolutions again. Because people were here to learn and you were causing the disruption. Yeah, I can speak um, probably to the uh, most, most negative part of, of that personally. Um, because what you were saying it's a it's a two-way street where and 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 I got I would say scolded by one meaning and and it needed to happen and I also lost my shit and I and I reacted out of kind of unfettered emotion and not logic or or thought so I applaud you for taking that time to call Connor later the next day to t- to talk about it now I walked into a training and one of my guys was in training and, you know, he whipped his head around, said, hey, we're trying to learn. And I read it as joking. He wasn't. And, you know, it's a firehouse, bust his balls a little bit. And, you know, we, you know, he turned around, you know, I thought everything is good. Thank God he had the wherewithal and the respect for himself 
to contact me later and say, listen, don't you ever talk to me like that again in front of people. That was very disrespectful. And I'm the officer. And and it was a real, I mean, I mean, it was a real shot to, like, to the gut thinking like, well, you know, I didn't, I had no idea in that moment my actions were, one, that disruptive, and two, that disrespectful to my own guy. And, and that really, I was so happy that he was, he, he, I was so happy he did that because we need reminder. And, and I don't think they happen often in the fire service. We need reminders in the fire service to remind us that we're not shit. Like we, we are not shit at all. Like we are just one pawn in the bigger game of the fire service. And the other one, I thought one of my guys was getting kind of lippy and, and I, I just, I snapped. I snapped on. I, I talked about this on the last one. I snapped on him, and I man, I shouldn't have. And it was like the it it affected our our working relationship for over a year just in our in our interaction because my response was terrible, and and he didn't he didn't appreciate it, didn't really accept accept my my apology, and I get it. And it was another reminder that I need to elevate myself and the guy that, that that snapped on me earlier um you know he's a, a national guard guy an amazing fireman one of our newest guys kind of like you know you know your connor sort of thing and you know when i needed it and i was so happy about it and i was able to redeem that relationship with the the other firemen um and i'm, I'm so happy i was able to but it was these moments that 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 i was not trained for in that that great fire one and two class um that deals more with the, with the, with the social part. So chief, how important was it when you had that interaction, you called him, but you, but you waited to, to, to engage him. How important did, did that change your, your engagement and, and your conversation? It was, it was, uh, one thing is that's, uh, that's not something that was natural. It was learned over time. So prior to the interaction that I had with Connor, um, I usually impulsively reacted. I was very reactive. Uh, something pissed me off and I wanted to deal with it in that moment. Something didn't go my way and my ego got the best of me and I wanted to deal with it in that moment. I mean, I had, you know, arguments with my previous fire chief where I was a captain because I didn't like a decision he made while I was off duty. And I got a text message about, oh, you know, he did this. And I friggin' drove to the firehouse off duty and demanded he speak with me and yelled at him in his office. And he wrote me up. And and I was, you know, like, I thought, what a dick. I can't believe you wrote me up. And, you know, like, I would have wrote me up, you know. <laughs> right. Like, I was out of line, you know. Um, so I learned uh, that you got to cool off. You got to kind of... Uh, you know, you got to peel back a lot of onion layers, um, give people the benefit of doubt, give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Connor and I are both Irish. Uh, you know, we both grew up in a similar neighborhood. So with that, you know, same here. Um, yeah. 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 So, you know, um, you, 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 so you know how it is, you know, like you grow up and, and you know, and you kind of have like a little bit of the chip on your shoulder. You're very passionate. You're very prideful. Um, and you can easily be hot headed. Uh, you know, so, um, I knew that if I knew that Connor very much was a lot like how I used to be when I was a captain, uh, in Carlisle. Um, so I knew if I engaged in the moment, 
he would have reacted and we would have not solved anything and it would have just created animosity. Uh, so given him that day, given myself that day, uh, made it a lot better received. Um, I was able to have conversations with him um, that I, I couldn't have had with other people, either A, because I just chose not to because it was a waste of my time. And that's that's a shitty thing to say, but I'm also not one of those fake leaders that say like, you know, you can shape everybody and give all your people a hug. Like, no, there's some dickheads and assholes that you work with, and they're just not worth your time. And just you do your best and and move on. You know, <laughs> honestly, um, it's just the truth. You know, I mean, I, I hate to I hate to sit there and sound like that, but why lie and be like, oh, you know, I hug all my people. No, I don't. Like, if there's people I never have to see again, I'm probably going to be okay with that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you and, know, and I had the same. <sighs> I had the same Michael Scott moment. Um, you know that that engagement. Um, is you know i i was driven like i had it in my head i mean i still do I st- i'm still right but um i had it in my head that, that i found i found this this thing we had to change and, and god damn it it was it had to happen now and everything we have is bullshit and what would i what we need to buy right now is going to save the world and it's going to be better for everyone i mean i'm 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 still right on it but what I was doing and how I was engaging, like my chief officers, was I was very dismissive of what they needed, what they needed accomplished, what they expected, or things they expected to get done, and and they were reading my my my, my ego and and in what world in what world do I think or should I think that if I'm going to be an asshole? to those above me and then turn around and tell them what you implemented years ago. It sucks. Now we need something new and I need you to spend budget dollars for it. Um, and it took like a, a, a humble soul searching, um, with this whole thing. And I had a, a, a meeting with the chief, uh, a little while ago, a little sit down thing. And I, 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 bet I, I that's what I told him. I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I think I'm still right here. I, I'm, Frankly, I know I'm right, but I was a real piece of shit for a little while um, with my ego, and uh, you know I, I understand the resistance that was met there. Um, so it it just speaks to what you're saying too with with having to having that respect and swallowing that ego and that pride um, for the betterment of, of your department and really the, the, the cohesive cohesiveness of what you're dealing with, because that in turn is going to relate probably a much faster result than just, um, knocking heads with it, but I'm still right about smooth bores. Um, (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) way to really prove that you're Irish. (laughs) No, because you're just like, it's like, I'm still right. You know, (laughs) first of all, I'm a smoothbore guy. So hopefully it was in favor of smooth. It was, man, it was, I am. I I, I don't want to get in that debate because I know, I know, because no, because you'll lose it. I've learned hard (sighs) pistol grips. I don't like pistol grips. I'm not a nozzle guy. And people hate me for saying that, so I just kind of like so, now in my uh, new realm, I push a desk, so I'm like, whatever, like we, whatever the captain thinks, the captain we, gets. And like we, so we have just this large conglomerate of automatic nozzles, and 
I was a real jaded piece of shit guy, and then I read Angie Fredericks, and I got more involved. I just, I just, gave, you know what? It, it, no, excuse, I gave a damn. Is really what it boiled down to. I gave a damn. That's I, okay though. I gave it. I gave a damn about my job. And you read Dennis Laguerre, and you and you read um, Andy Fredericks, and you di- and you read Dave McGrail, and you read all this shit, and they're all preaching the same thing. And these, I mean, in in. In the fire service world, if you don't know these guys and you run an engine or you do like, like you need to stop, hit stop right now and and find their books, find their their writings. Um, and I was like pushing, like we have a we have a hundred psi fog on a two and a half, and I watched for a decade myself and all my guys get their ass kicked because we didn't prioritize pumping, and that's just a whole lot of nozzle reaction. So I. Mm. I you know love Alcart Brass. They sent me and it's not plugged by any means, but they sent me a bunch of shit. I tested it out. It was great. I was running with it. I had guys buying in, you know, and then my ego took over and it was like everything we had was bullshit and you get tunnel vision. Yeah, you get tunnel vision. You know, yeah, exactly. So, um well, we don't have them yet, but uh, so here's 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 real quick, um, and, you know, and you can edit this out if you don't want to, you don't want it to be exposed in the thing. But I'm just going to give don't you care. brotherly advice. I'm just going to say this: at the end of the day, are you still alive? And that's and that's the thing I had to admit. Like, yeah, you know, you're right. I'm a smoothbore guy, but there's a lot of shit that I want to change in every firehouse I've ever worked at. I left West Point, and. <laughs> You know, I had a whole list of, of objectives that I wanted to complete before I left. And there's I didn't even get quarter way through that. And you know what? I'm OK with it because I developed myself and West Point is still the awesome fire department that they are, uh, contrary to the things that I wanted to make a change on. So and the um, biggest thing that that was really the gut punch that thank God nobody caught. But I caught it first with my own self was. I wasn't educated enough to advance that fog nozzle. I couldn't, in my sleep, pump it, move it, hump it, get it through the door, get it around a building. I, I, I couldn't advance it in my sleep. So who the hell am I to say that we need something when I myself realized I didn't put the sets and reps in on this one thing? Just because we put a new nozzle on it, it's still going to weigh a whole hell of a lot. And mm-hmm. moving it has nothing to do with nozzle reaction. Moving it closed has nothing to do with GPMs. The weight's going to be static. And so that's where, actually tomorrow, uh, when we're going to be drilling on, on, on the 2.5. And, and again, I'm right with the GPM delivery, but that's not the point. It, I mean, it kind of is, but it's not the point. <laughs> is, is I had to realize that I, I was the I, I took ownership of it. I was the piece of shit that was jaded. I got and now I am on a mission to get as proficient as possible with this line so that when the time comes again and it's gonna come, that I can make this push and uh, hopefully be more successful than the uh, the first one. Yeah, beautiful. So uh, chief, um, you've, you've talked to me for a while now. I, I really do appreciate it. One thing I just want to, um, if you could wrap up on and end on, um, cause I know it, it's a really important thing is if you could discuss your, your theories and your, your, um, let's like your lecture, your thoughts on developing and establishing that training network. No, 
Nice. Did you really read up? You must have read up on me. (laughs) I got nervous when you started talking about theories, and I'm like, oh, this guy's talking about stuff that I talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, if you (laughs) if you could talk about Pythagorean theorem as it relates to the relative Coriolis effect of the Earth. No, 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 because because you went into um, these three like the these different networks. You had the you know, mentorship and resources and training, and yeah. and I would love to contact you later down the line. Um, let you back. Oh, absolutely, back, get, get, you got my number. Get you back to your family because one thing I do want to talk on. I'm gonna have you end on the, the the training network, but one thing I'm super passionate about, and I, and one thing I want to talk about later down the line, networking. But we'll talk about that later down the line if you're willing. Um, yeah, talk yeah, I love talk, this. talk to me about the training network. What is it? Why is and why is it important to to get us um, better? Easy. So, uh, so I wrote an article uh, years ago uh, for Fire Engineering, uh, and it was about my experience uh, in developing a training network because of my n- new job at that time of being a training officer at West Point. Uh, I was fortunate that uh, Bobby Halton, I pitched the idea to Bobby Halton. He loved it. And uh, they gave me a class. I now have a new class that um, because of COVID-19 isn't going to be until April 21. But in April 21, I'm teaching my new class called, so you want to be a training officer. Do you have what it takes? Which is kind of like um, the spinoff more raw version of uh, the building a training network class. So building a training network. Uh, The importance of having a training network is, uh, one, is knowing that uh, you don't have all the answers. So the first step to building a training network is accepting that you don't know everything you need to know, and you are not the subject matter expert that you might think you are. And, uh, you know, you need to be able to be humble enough to rely on others to help assist you in the things you need help with. We live in a world where, regardless if you work for paid department, volunteer department, federal government, whatever the hell it is, okay? We have budgets, okay? And when they cut budgets or they uh, put caps on budgets, the first people that get it is the firemen, cops, and teachers. We're the first ones. Um, I don't know why, but we are. Um, I guess because no matter what, we're going to keep doing our job. So um, so what happens is, is uh, they cut these budgets. We still have to be able to provide the services, like I said earlier in the show, of the public calls us the expectation is we're experts it's just the automatic expectation they do not understand that one guy has a probie shield another guy has a white helmet then one guy's helmet looks dirtier than the other they don't they don't know what any of that shit means all they know is i called 911 and everyone that got off that truck is supposed to be a freaking expert and solve my problem so how can we possibly be able to provide these services to the people that are have this expectation of us without the amenities. Well, I'll tell you, all of the things that you need are literally in your first due district. I promise. Everything you need is in your first due district. You just have to be able to have a, be willing to have a conversation, have hat in hand. It all starts. My buddy Steve Hamilton, he, you know, he says this. You know, it all starts with a handshake and a smile. That's how networking is done. You go to the local business owners, you establish a relationship with them. You know, the people that have the lumber yards or the, the, the salvage yard guy, whoever, you establish a relationship with them, okay? You're able to get props built. You got the local contractor. You're able to have props built. Um, you're able to get uh, cars to do vehicle extrication training. Uh, you get with the real estate companies or you get with the housing authority if you have one or for vacant, you know, depending on your, your area, if you have some, some uh, spots that are going to be being demolished and run down, 
see if the fire department can get in there before they demo it and get in there and run some structural drills, run some search drills, do some breaking and breaching, do some ventilation drills. All of this stuff is in your, your area. You just have to go and look. Uh, when look in the in, in the in the classified ads and see when there's going to be running an open house, and go with the crew, and call the you know the real estate agent so you're not scaring the shit out of everybody that's trying to look <laughs> at the house, and call the real estate agent and say hey the fire department wants to come by we just want to take a look at the house because here's the thing, how often are we always allowed to get in these people's houses right? That, so it'd be nice to be genius, able to walk man. in one of these residential homes and get an idea of the layout and. You know what I mean? Because some of these things are cookie cutter and some of them are, are chopped up inside to become a maze. And, you know, so getting those eyes, fresh set of eyes on that, you know, those are things. So those are the resources, right? Those are your resources. Then you have your mentor network. You want to reach out to some trusted third party advisors. The reason why I say third party is because they can't be a member of your department. The member of your department has a biased opinion as to what works and what doesn't work formulated off of their personality in your agency. So you got to call somebody that you trust that doesn't have a biased opinion on your department. Have them come by, take a look at stuff, do a ride along, evaluate, assess a drill, even just stand back and watch a drill happen um, and get some feedback from them. You know, they give you that that, 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 that 30,000 foot mark, that bird's eye view, because we get tunnel vision, okay? Um, we get stuck in what we feel works only for us. And when you get that guy to come out from, come from the outside, you know, like I said, you got that bird's eye. They're looking at it from a 30,000 foot mark and they're like, Hey, yeah, actually, did you realize that you, 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 you can be doing this and you're not, and you're like, Oh shit. You know, I didn't know this, notice that. Um, and then the training network, the training network consists of all of these people, your mutual aid partners, the police departments, your local business owners, your local government, the utility companies, um, your mentor, the people from your mentor network. That is what comprises your training network. And then you make a list of these people and their contacts and you keep a dialogue with them and interact with them and train with them and meet with them, whatever you feel the frequency should be, whether it's once a quarter, once a year, whatever it is. So, like, the point is, you know, let's talk about um, the, the elephant in the room with active shooter. So, NFPA 3000 came out. Um, you know, we're going to more and more of these active shooter things. Sadly, they're happening more and more. Um, what did I say before? What's the, what's the, the general public's expectation? Expert. We're experts. Experts, yes. They don't give a shit. That the cops and the firemen don't talk. Their expectation is we're best buddies and we were just hanging out last night and today we're experts solving their problem. That's their expectation. So how in hell can we solve this problem when we're not even training together? We're not even working together. We've proven that the reason why people are dying is because they're bleeding out because people aren't getting tourniquets on them fast enough. Firemen aren't going in as an RTF or or whatever to get to, to pull these people into a warm or cold zone. And, you know, we're, we got the attitude of, well, it's not my job. You know, there, there's a guy in there with a gun. I'm not sending a fireman in when there's a fire, or a cop in when there's a fire. So why should I go in when there's gun gunfire? I get all these, I get all these opinions. But 
We're in the business of lives and property. Sometimes we have to do some dangerous shit. Just yeah, you you take the inherent risk of when you became a fireman to do stupid, crazy shit that you wouldn't think you would ever have to do. To include possibly going into an area where somebody just got shot and having to put a tourniquet on that person and pulling them the hell out. Now, don't get me caught on the whole, you know, whether EMTs and paramedics should be in the firehouse. I'm an EMT because I have to be, not because I want to be. But it's our job. We are called to be there to provide the service. So case in point, this to sum up my argument and, and, and to justify if at all costs, like you can disagree with me for everything on, you know, a training network, oh, who gives a shit? That seems, that seems obvious to me. You know, I'll talk to the people I want to talk to. But the reality is, is the chief in the neighboring district doesn't get along with the chief in the neighboring district, so they're not on each other's boxes. That makes no sense. An active shooter happens. The police chief and the fire chief don't get along or the cops and the firemen don't get along. You know, you got cops sitting there waiting for the firemen to respond to calls so they can pull them over because they're going too fast just because they don't like the firemen, so on and so forth. We're not training together. We didn't create this dialogue. We're not networking with each other. And guess what? Who's at cost here? Not us, the general public, because they expect us to be experts when we show up. And we're not showing up being experts because we're using we don't have the money and the amenities to, to be able to keep up with the training we need. Just talk to the people around your neighborhood. I guarantee you'd be able to do it. Well, the cops aren't talking to us, so why should we talk to them? Be the bigger man because the fire service, emergency services, the police service is going to outlive you. That's why you should talk to them now. Amen. I I, uh, I lived I lived through the chief-to-chief chief box alarm issue. Lived through it. And, um, you know, to to give a a smaller like a real world view on exactly what you're talking about and just how how easy what you are saying is um you go I'll give you the the uh, an easy example chief you know uh, Michael Snodgrass yeah okay he has a great talk if uh, again if uh, you've if you resumed you uh Watch a thousand maydays. Anyone listening, watch a thousand maydays on YouTube. Michael Snodgrass talks about you. We should we should never be dragging a fireman across a bay floor again and think we did a great job doing writ. Um, shout out to Michigan State University. I went through a writ program with them and it beat the shit out of me and really was an eye opener. But I called Home Depot, talked to their manager. And I said, hey, my name's Chris. I'm with the fire department. We, do you have any carpet that was miscut, wrong, returned? Someone spilled paint on it. Something that destined for the garbage. And they'll, they'll, yeah, let me check. They'll come back. How big you want it? Ideally, I want to run. I want to be able to drag a guy a decent amount of feet to really watch and see and feel that gear glue itself into the carpet as I pull them uh, through it. So you give them an amount, however much you need. I don't know. I need 14 feet by 5 feet, whatever they can give you. And it doesn't have to match. Put a bunch together. They will roll it, tape it, and give it to you and have and, and let you pick it up at the service desk. That is how easy, and that was free. All you do, you maybe th- you tack some 2x4s on there, and now you have a realistic writ training drill that you can put on the bay floor. Cost you nothing. Cost you nothing. Cost you nothing, and it got you as real 
not as real as possible, minus heat and smoke. But now you are dragging a guy across the carpet floor with bullshit on it. Hey, building muscle memory, it's a good thing. Yeah. So so now your guys know, okay, when, when I hit an obstacle, we need to check the tank, lift up here, pull here, drag here. I know by the time we get to this point, they're going to get caught on the regulator here. And I need to adjust it again. It took you from maybe an ego you did have by dragging a guy across the floor and thinking, well, uh, we have, we, we're certified now in RIT, baby. We're good. To, we have to practice this now. And again, it costs you nothing. And that is just one example of what one business, a big box store, but one business can offer you. Now, like you said, Lumberyard's everything. There is a an immense amount of uh, resources you can get free that businesses will want to partner with you on because it is a cool thing and it's, and the, you yeah, and these people these people like helping us one because it just feels good to help firemen people like firemen one two you know you get them a patch or a t-shirt or a certificate of appreciation dude those guys proudly display that shit trust me you know they love that shit and then three is, you know, some of these people, they can use that type of stuff as, as a tax write-off. So they love it. You know, they're like, it's a win-win all around for them. You know, it's just the matter of just, you know, uh, getting rid of the awkward divide and, 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 and talking to them. Yeah, the awkward divide and, and again, swallowing your ego and, and going up. And like you said, with the, the, the real estate idea, that blew my mind. That is genius. That is, I mean, because we're dependent on a, a residential fire alarm or a medical normally to get in people's houses or a CO investigation. So that's an awesome idea. Um, Chief, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I, I, can't, I can't appreciate it enough. Thank you so much for, for spending this amount of time with me. Um, I don't want to take ah, you from no, your family worry, any brother. longer. Um, I have one last, before I let you go, one last, probably the most important question I'm going to ask you um, at all. Um, uh, what's the best episode of The Office? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Pick wisely. Favorite... Pick wisely. No, 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 no it's easy. It's good, easy. Good, 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 good. Uh, so my favorite episode, I can't tell you the exact episode number, but it's season five. It's where uh, Michael convinces uh, David, um, David Wallace to hire him and Pam uh, back and uh, because he's 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 putting Dunder Mifflin out of business Michael, Michael Scott, Scott paper company yeah, Michael Scott paper company it's my favorite episode because you go through every 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 episode and every every um, season and you know your perception of Michael Scott is he's a boob but he ends up getting one over on the CFO who, you know, David Wallace's character is a pretty squared away kind of, you know, smart guy, you know? Uh, so I always love that because it's like, you know, it's an underdog kind of episode, you know, you know, it's my favorite episode, you if, know, like I love it. <laughs> if we can take away anything that wraps up everything right now is, is in that episode, they're sitting down across the table negotiating and there's a debate on, on, on how much their company is valued. And he says money doesn't mean anything to him. And he goes, that's the thing. I don't care about money. I will uh, I will create another company and another mm-hmm. company and another company with training, with ideas, with development, with progress in this whole job. 
If you are told no, that is not a door shut. They just put a bumper in front of you to bounce off of and come back with another idea and another no, idea mean. and another idea. Yeah, persistence is the key to success. Hey, you be a hey. We should know you beat a wall long enough, it'll break somehow. Yeah. Um, Chief, thank you so much. I, I can't thank you again. Um, enjoy. You know, I hope you're gonna have a Guinness at some point tonight. I know I will. <laughs> <laughs> And congratulations to your brother and uh, and his wife on the twins. Oh man, they're doing so. I appreciate it, man. They uh, they're they're still in NICU right now. They pulled the IVs out. They're on low uh, low concentration of oxygen. Okay. You want to talk about crazy, man? Not you know COVID one thing, but uh, you know they can't uh, they can't uh, really be with their kids too long. Hospital kind of yeah. sets the rules, and but you know what? They're coming home in about two weeks, and then nice. we'll have a. We'll have a giant socially distanced party. So <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> nice, yeah. Awesome, awesome, Chief. Well, uh, again, thank you so much. Uh, congratulations on your promotion. Where are you at yeah, now? You. Uh, so I, I was trying to tread lightly on it because I haven't gone through the ethics part. We can, uh, we can skip uh, it. Uh, it's too. okay. I'll say it because uh, because uh, uh, people could think I'm just talking about the letter the the show that's on Hulu, but it's not. So I work for Letter Kenny. Okay. Where I'm at now. Okay. Awesome. Um, and and I'm very blessed that you know it's just it's 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 a great honor. Awesome. And I still work for the Department of Army, which is, I mean, what's better than that? You know. Yeah. Awesome, man. Chief, uh, thank you again. Uh, have a good one, and uh, you you guys be safe down there. Okay. Thank you, brother. You same same to you. All right. Bye bye. Take care. Thank you so much to Dave for coming on. I had so much fun talking with him. We kind of went off the rails a couple times, but. Uh, thank you again to Chief Dave McGlynn for coming on. I, I cannot thank him enough for taking the time. He he reached out, and we talked after he he had dinner with his family, and so I respect him so much for prioritizing the family uh, and then doing this with me. So please like and follow us and subscribe on, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, remember to be nice to people. This isn't the time to to really get political. Just be a human and give a shit about somebody else other than yourself. We will do so much better with that. Have a great day and uh, make the world a better place. All right. So long.